Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So let's be friends. It's the summer break. And, well, all the lazy and slightly rubbish podcasts rest up on a beach somewhere. We see this as the best time to make content because, frankly, these days there is so much news and so many races that all F1 content is on rails. So to get a little break like this and to do things that we want to do and explore topics we want to explore can be quite fun. So there's still going to be a crew of very incompetent bringing you F1 content until we get revving and racing once again in September. So today we'll look at some of the top news stories, but we'll also look at how the rookies have fared and are faring, and we'll look at the percentage of team points each driver has scored. After all, your biggest rival in F1 is your teammate in the same car. And at the end of the show, I'm going to replay the recent interview I had with Jan Maldenborough and Archie Medekwe, the stars of the new sim racer turned real race driver movie from Sony Pictures called Gran Turismo based on a true story. And you'll see how excited I am during the interview because Sony included Missed Apex on the official press junket. So I got to see the first UK screening at Sony Pictures, which was very, very exciting. And then we got included in, you know, that press junket where the actors are there having having I was the very last I was the very last interview of a two day uh, virtual press junket tour. So I could see their faces at the beginning. They were exhausted, but trying their best to be enthusiastic. Uh, But actually, like seconds into the interview, we had a really great chat about the movie and about racing and about sim racing. So we'll play that at the end of the show. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I've got a panel, you know, and the first person on that panel is the only person I need to be better than. It's my first rival. It's my teammate, Matt. Two rumpets. Hello, Matt. One down, three to go. One what down, three to go? Week. Oh, of so the we're summer back break. To racing. Are you counting yeah. this down like sleeps till Christmas? 
Exactly. Do you, no, do you know what though, Matt? With so many races, like I am actually, I'm fine with the summer break. I'm quite pleased of the summer break because they've been rolling and hitting us so fast. Yeah, you know, it, it's an interesting thing you bring up. I wasn't, I'm not sure because as we've had more races, it feels like more work. And I'm not sure if it's that just because of that iterative getting better every season, having to put more effort in for less gain content wise, or if I've just gotten old and the same amount of work is just that much harder. I, I mean, it's barely work. We're talking about the race cars going fast. And yes, like I will always on any given Sunday, if you say there's a Grand Prix, I'm, I'm happy. But when it comes to, to content, we used to always, you know, we really enjoy our winter content. We enjoy our yeah. summer content. But there just used to be a lot, of, a lot more of a gap between races to go, all oh, right, let's go and find people for an interview. But, you know, now the news cycle is so much more. It's not just random rumors from Italian websites because the news cycle just keeps on pounding. So we've got like four or five major news stories in the summer breakdown, which never really used to be the case. Yeah, and that's that's because, uh, like us, the journalists are busy just covering what happens in the races before they get a chance to catch up this and start spark the stories that we want to talk about, too. Exactly. So they take a deep breath and go, oh, by the way, I heard that Science has a contract with Audi, for example. Yeah. There we go. Or Bonato's <laughs> going to be team principal at Alpine, <laughs> for Spoilers. Example. Here we go. And uh, Matt's the teammate, but we've got a junior driver lurking in the wings ready to take a place and replace us at any given moment is Chris Stevens. Hey, Chris. Ah, oh, still three weeks left in the summer break. Uh, still time to enjoy myself before the relentless pounding of Formula One returns. Yeah, but you're, you're a GT series commentator. Is that taking a summer break as well? We actually are, yes. Mm. We're, we finished up uh, a few weeks ago now, and we're not back until uh, early September as well. And then we have two races within a, within a month as well, so... Uh, that will come back quite thick and fast as well. Red mm. Bull Ring and then Monza. So if we're like the 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 Red Bull slash junior driver program uh, people here on the pod, we've also got a dark horse over a plucky rival. It's Christina Mace from the Gravel Trap F1 podcast. Hello, Christina. Hello. You know, with all this talk about the countdown, I feel like we need to make advent calendars. Like put get a bunch of chocolate together for the summer and just... One day. Oh, I like that. So, um, so like day one, you open it up and a Pirelli tire pops out and hits you in the face. Day day two, <laughs> it's a tire warmer. Day three, sustainable fuels dribble out as a prelude to twenty twenty six. I love that aero upgrade. Um, let's do it. Let's let's hook up our summer <laughs> advent calendar. I like that. But first, let's get on to the big dirty news. Big dirty news. So in F1, as an F1 fan, I always think you are allowed to support who you support and you're also allowed to kind of have your baddies. And I know there's a lot of baddies that I've talked about where people get upset that I would dare list their team or driver as baddies. So, for example, when I say I'm not a Max Verstappen fan, massively respect what he does. And, and you could see uh, on my Twitter feed, I defended from you know someone saying he's not one of the best people ever in F1. He's got a lot more to prove. I say, no, he's absolutely already one of the best people who's ever stepped into an F1 car. So just because I am not a fan of someone doesn't mean I won't go to war, like defending or, or, or respecting how good they are. Like I want the, the drivers that I and the teams that I see as rivals to my teams and drivers 
to be good because it's in sport. It's always the the adversity against greatness is what brings greatness in the people you like as well. And I get a big objection from the Tafosi as well when I say that Ferrari are are still they're the Death Star. They're the real buddies of F1. I love to hate Ferrari. I want them to be better so I can continue to hate them. But the team that I've given the most grief without getting any kind of pushback on is Alpine slash Renault. No one ever, ever gets upset at me when I say that Renault Alpine is everyone's 10th favorite F1 team. Chris? I'm going to argue this slightly now because I think all this drama that they've provided has notched them up just a little bit. And let's be honest, what is the point of Alfa Romeo? Oh, oh! Uh, do you know what? Alfa Romeo will definitely be featured in in this uh, in this show as well because uh, you know Alfa Romeo, who is Sauber, is uh, becoming Audi in a couple of seasons' time as well. But let, let's focus in on on Alpine, Christina, because that is a spectacle. What they have done is made a spectacle of themselves in the F one party. They've got a little drunk. They've started arguing amongst themselves, and now everyone has seen their dirty laundry. I really appreciate now how everyone thought that the civil war was going to be between their drivers. <laughs> Yo, but gosh. it turns out it's everybody but the drivers. They're the only ones that are actually realistically behaving and doing like they're doing their jobs. A couple mistakes along the way, but they are going out and they're doing what they need to do. All of their leadership, though, is in upheaval. They're not letting Otmar and the team that has been assembled just cook and work towards becoming a team and make progress, they're kind of just saying, oh, well, we're going to start over and over and over, despite not restarting the count for their 100 race goal. It's just very poorly managed project at this point. A lot of impatience. Rome wasn't built in a day. Uh, No, but it was, Matt. Rome was completely overrun by barbarians using their own infrastructure against them, which perhaps is what has happened over at Enstone. Yeah, well, this is what I love. You know, you 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 ask yourself, well, what does a CEO of a major car company do anyway? Could I do that job? And you think, no, that must be very complicated. <laughs> and then you realize that the CEO of a major car company sees that Aston turned up and was good at the start of the season and has decided to fire his entire Formula One team because of recency bias. And you think, oh, no, 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 no. Even I could make better choices than that on a more than coin flip basis because that's really what's happened here what's happened here is they've looked at aston and then they looked at mclaren show up and be good for about a race and a half before they were garbage at spa and they've said well why didn't you do such a great job and they said well we agreed to this timeline and we're working on it we're doing better and one person said i could do better and that's it the whole leadership is out the window and that one person who said they could do it quicker is now in charge and I have more on that, but I can see other people want to get it. No, look, I actually, I just want to compliment like the the way you've you've brought that across. Firstly, I wasn't thinking of it in the same kind of sofa, like you know, with Ferrari, where armchair strategists going, "Well, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't have double stacked them there." But we're armchair CEOs now. We've we've been promoted. We can be armchair CEOs. But um, yeah, the other angle I hadn't looked at was the the fact that Aston Martin have this this kind of almost inherent that outfit tactic of, okay, well, let's look at what the other teams are doing. Let's front load development. Let's hit the ground running has actually like puts the pressure on the midfield. So I wasn't thinking of the likes of Sauber and an Alpine being under pressure from that Aston Martin start. 
Well, yeah, you wouldn't think so because they have a plan and they have an incredibly experienced leadership. Alan Permain, 34 years in the sport. Otmar ran Force India when they had $3 a year to invest and somehow still <laughs> managed to finish fifth with the team. They have two drivers who are respected and fast and can score points in a car, including a podium and a third in a sprint race this year. And they have an engine that is, and yes, Chris Stevens, I'm going to say this, 20 to 30 brake horsepower under the other engine manufacturers. And despite that handicap, they still find themselves hanging on by their fingernails. And it just seems like to me that if we're going to look at where the real problems are in this team, I don't think it's the leadership of the Formula One team where we need to be pointing our gaze. I 100% agree with you, Matt. I think this is a much more systemic brand issue Mm -hmm. that's very akin to Toyota's massive downfall in, in Formula One. That was the most expensive mistake that Toyota made, and I can feel Alpine going in the same direction, where they have this distinct lack of understanding of how Formula One actually works. And this is coming off of the back of not only losing two amazing drivers last season in the form of Fernando Alonso and Oscar Piastri, but then a change of CEO as well, followed by firing all the top line management of the Formula One team itself, expecting them to have gotten all the parts together, put them in a cooker and it to be ready like a microwave meal when actually you need to slow cook this. You need to be Mm. a little bit patient and come back at the end of the day when it's very nice, nicely roasted. For me, the biggest debacle out of all of this was literally just following the CEO departure, which the media are going to have questions about anyway. They then decided to make this announcement on a Friday afternoon when they are surrounded by media. And not only, not only that, the people that they've fired are the ones open to the media, leaving them (laughs) ample opportunity to just slander the well, brand, to which be fair, is exactly they, what they did. Sort of. I think, well, Otmar did well, sort of... Slander is probably the wrong word, no, but I think absolutely he was quite, slammed the brand. Obviously, Otmar Schaffner gave his opinion and he said, you know, he had a tearful goodbye and it all seemed a little bit sudden, but I think he was very respectful to the brand. I think he put his case across, but it absolutely I don't, I don't smacked off. Do you not? Do you not think so? I, th- I, th- <laughs> I mean, looking back at some of the quotes, he clearly feels very strongly about mm. how he and yeah. his team have been treated by the higher ups. Oh, no, no. It absolutely smacks of there was a, a recent and, uh, and, and intense falling out and that no one was expecting it to, to land just before the Grand Prix. Because there's no way, you, you're mm. right, Chris, there's no way you plan that. But the way, the yeah. way Alpine is kind of just firing people left, right and centre and then they suddenly push forward uh, a guy who I don't think anyone has, has heard of or, or seen within Formula One and you go, well, have they? is that the HR person? I don't know. But like, it's, a, it's as if in Missed Apex we just started firing everyone and then suddenly Kyle's in charge. Imagine! It would be a MotoGP podcast before you know it. Uh, Christina, get yourself in um, and then Matt. For sure. The other thing that was pointed out by one of the other team principals, I want to say Vassar at Ferrari, was that even if you fire people, lining up their replacement in Formula One takes time because of gardening leave, because of those extended contracts. So not only have they gotten rid of a whole bunch of new people mid-season, because Otmar, 18 months he's been in this role. That is relatively new still for the whole picture. So they they just keep shooting themselves in the foot and then expect that they're going to be able to run a marathon. It's 
it's just mistake after mistake. And especially from, I want to say it's the CEO, it might be another person in leadership, but they have less experience in Formula One than Otmar does. And then the other people that were in those leadership positions, you just have to have trust in the people that you've hired and let them do their job. And they're not. I am looking up. I'm trying to look up Matt because I, yeah. I mean no disrespect to the whoever the person who's been put in as team principal, but I couldn't remember their their name. Is your is their name coming to mind? Uh, Bruno Famine. Okay, cool. I tried to just look it up on the internet, and like I just like Alpine new team principal. There's nothing. No, I don't think anyone's bothered writing about this individual. So we have absolutely no idea who who is really in charge. Uh, from a, a fan point of view, I hope they know. I was going to say, allow me to uh, allow me to tell you a story. Yeah, story Bruno time. Bruno Famine, who was appointed head of Viri Chateaulon, which is where Renault makes the power unit for the Alpine car in 2022, as the power unit freeze approached in Formula One. He came from Peugeot Motorsport, where he had a reasonably successful career, and at the engine freeze, we now discover the power unit they brought forward. Is 20 to 30 horsepower under Ferrari. Oh, it's this guy. Red Bull Honda and Mercedes. Am I missing out any? No, that would be four with uh, Renault. So that's correct. Somehow they've managed to get behind in an engine freeze with this guy running the factory. Oh, no. And he then tells, apparently, now this, this I don't have good sourcing on, but the story I've seen is that there was a disagreement timeline-wise between Luca DiMeo, the CEO of all of Renault, and the Formula One team um, in terms of uh, Rossi and Safnauer and Pat Fry and Alan Permain, who said, you know, we really do need about five years to make this happen the way you want. That's just realistic in Formula One. And I, I looked at some other teams. We can talk about that later. And apparently, a promise was made and, the, and they was like, no, there's a way to do it faster. And so exit Safnauer, Pat Fry and Alan Primain, just the two of them together have like, what, close to 60 years of Formula One experience. And, um, and now this guy, Bruno Famin, who's been at Renault since 2022 and been in charge of one underwhelming project, is going to make Alpine as good as Aston and Ferrari and Mercedes in a much shorter period of time. I, for one, am looking forward to this but mostly for the comedic value. It's amazing that we, I mean, we hear so much about this hundred race uh, uh, program or, you know, development plan, and they've made very, very little tangible or visible progress in terms of moving up the order. They seem to be that steady fifth place in the constructors championship. Absolutely bang average since, since Renault, the Renault name came back after Lotus and you know, remembering it's still the same team Enstone that took Fernando Alonso to two world titles 20 years ago or so, but throwing on top of the huge embarrassment that was Spa, on top of the huge embarrassment that is asking the FIA for help with their uh, engine. Oh my God, uh, we haven't parity, even talked about right? that yet. Exactly, Goodness. right? Bearing in mind that the whole reason they rebranded from Renault to Alpine was to amp up the Alpine name because nobody had really heard of the name Alpine, you know, outside of, uh, you know, Renault HQ basically, and maybe some, uh, some old rally stuff back nope. in the eighties. Exactly. It wasn't the well-known brand. So the and now it's EV, EV only now as well. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, the, the, right now the only headlines about Alpine are about what a disorganized 
an embarrassing mess it is. If I'm now in charge of Alpine, I'm looking at Mario Andretti sniffing around to, to buy a Formula One team and suddenly thinking, this Let's might just not go. be such a bad idea now. This is, this is it, Matt. Renault were never in it. They never committed. Pre-budget cap, they could have mercedes it. They could have. Yes, absolutely. I'm not going to disagree with you. And I've even seen in certain news stories that there was that Otmar asked for a $50 million spend that Renault refused till they got the new investors through um, Ryan Reynolds' organization that came in. So it's not like they've even been giving Otmar carte blanche to spend as he wants. They've still been holding the purse strings tight. But my curiosity about that power unit has led me to wander down the woulda, coulda, shoulda path. And if you have a minute, I'd like to share with you my findings. He's, he's going to share them anyway, guys. You, just, you have to just let it roll at this point. I've worked very hard to use as few numbers as possible. But here it goes. 30 brake horsepower, talking to a couple of experts, equates to about three-tenths of a second a lap. And I went through and said, what would happen if both cars were three-tenths of a lap faster? Where would they have finished? And this is what I found. They would have been about 2.25 places higher in every race than they actually finished. And qualifying was about good for about 2.4 places. In terms of average points gained per race, 6.4 average points. So what happens if I just do that math? Well, now they have 115 points. But the other thing they managed to do that I think is truly remarkable is they managed to not finish either driver in three consecutive races, and not three consecutive races, but in three races out of the 12. So I said, well, since we're being generous with our time here, let's give them those three races based sort of on where they finished in qualifying, like, or just, no, just average points per race. And at this point, if they had just, if they just had three tenths a lap, if they just had a power unit that was equal to the Ferrari, Mercedes, and the Red Bull, they'd have 153 points to Ferrari's 191 to Aston's 196. And they'd be very much in the fight for fourth best team, maybe third best, because there's other technical things we could talk about too. Namely, and to wit, uh, they've been responsible for a lot of the technology uh, things we've said is an innovation on Aston and this and that. They actually really started with Alpine, who I think did have a very clever designer and Matt Harmon working very hard. And it's really a shame to see the effort gutted like this by what I would simply refer to as a clueless C-suite. I mean, yeah, if we, if we give them a magical extra 30 brake horsepower and forgive all of their DNFs and forgive all of the driver <laughs> errors, then yes, I'm sure it would look like a very different picture in the World Championship, Matt. But the problem is, even if you give them that extra 30 brake horsepower, they can't run those engines reliably anyway, let alone when you give them even more power, because they've always decided to go for power over reliability and we saw how much that worked last year when fernando alonso would be running in sixth or seventh and then that engine would explode Uh, in uh, someone's face or even 2014 by the way i meant to clap that that was a very long and impassioned story and for once i listened to all of it which is a sign of how engaging it was oh it was fair enough i was i was taking the mick a little bit there matt but it was really good (laughs) well thank you very much it's it's i just wanted to benchmark how bad the power unit was affecting the rest of the Formula One team. And then for them to be blamed for it, it just, it's so unfair <laughs> to me. It just is crazy. 
Amazing. And that person is now in charge of the whole project. He's very keen to tell us that it's a project. He has a project. There will be a project. There's a project happening. The details of the project will be forthcoming. But, oh, my goodness. I think it was um, him having the microphone shoved in his face was a maybe a new experience. Um, I have a, a slight uh, clarification here because in the uh, our live chat room, oh, hi, uh, hi, if patrons. you want to... Yes, hello, patrons. So if you want to join our live chat room, subscribe to us on patreon.com, patreon.com slash mistapex. That's an ad-free feed as well. It it does have an ad-free feed and some extra bonus content on the Friday before the race. Heck yeah. And you'll be first to know of any events that we're planning. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. First, uh, Please support us. Me and Matt need food. Matt, Matt can only afford an instrument that has only three buttons. So imagine, with your Patreon support, he could play an instrument with more buttons or that one that slides forwards and backwards. Or maybe even one with strings, multiple strings. Yeah, a string string one. That would be way better than trumpets. Anyway, Chris, sorry. Yes, there was a question in the (laughs) chat that says, what's this about Alpine being tied with money? Aren't they spending bang on the cost cap? Well, of course, the cost cap is really, in reality, only a small part of what it costs to run a Formula One team uh, these days, because it really comes down to development, largely, and uh, building the core car. But there's so many more expenses in terms of running a team. And of course, one thing that doesn't come under the cost cap is driver salary. Uh, And and there are all sorts of inventive ways. They can only afford Ocon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and Pierre Gasly. Um, of course, there's all sorts of clever workarounds around that as well. You redistribute where the money's actually coming from, where it's being spent on in terms of the actual books. Um, so it's not just a case of because we're now up to a cost cap that that's the only money that they're spending and therefore it's the only money you need. Uh, moving on, as much as I'd want to, we can't just have a go at <laughs> Renault for this this whole time. But one of the most interesting uh, uh, stories that's popped up, and don't worry, we will get to the the teammate percentages and the the rookie, the, how the rookies are doing. But one of the the stories doing the rounds is that Carlos Sainz has a pre contract with Audi, and that uh, the reports are the, and I'm sure Matt will tell me the sources at some point. Uh, the reports are that he is not, you know, bound to definitely be at Audi, but the, there's an option. So, yeah, you know, they're, they're talking about it. Um, and, and I think it's worth clarifying to to newer F1 fans as well that, that this is the Sauber outfit founded by Peter Sauber. And it has a, a really rich history in Formula One, the Sauber outfit. But it's never been a front runner. Uh, and it has been rebadged at various times. I'm going to get a little bit of pushback on that last comment. Uh, but, you know, they, they've, had, they've run Ferrari engines Quite a lot. You know, they've been badged as Patronus engines. They have more recently been the Alfa Romeo team that Bottas and Wanyu Joe are at. But that is really a glorified title sponsor. It was very much being run by the Sauber team. So the, the, we'll, I'm sure we'll have some discussion going forward. I, I definitely you know Chris and Matt will have some insight into what is Audi's involvement. Is it going to be an Alfa Romeo type thing where they're just badging it or are or, or are Audi coming in and taking over and having like a real concerted push at an F1 effort? But the thing I want to focus on first is Carlos Sainz. Um, so, uh, Christina, if you're Carlos Sainz's agent and uh, uh, Audi is coming in to, to take over the, the Sauber team, what do you make of the rumours and would you be advising Carlos Sainz to take that up? 
this is very classic Carlos. We've seen him time and time again decide to switch teams because it wasn't suiting his best interest. That's a good point. He's constantly looking ahead. And he said it himself that because he is not the fastest on pace, he wasn't one of those prodigy drivers that he's always had to have, yes, on track skill, but always have to also be thinking about the off track stuff. It's why we see him being so good at making those strategy calls. And this very much feels like that. He is looking ahead. He is thinking, where can I best be suited for myself? It's something that, He's always done well. His jump from Toro Rosso into the Renault, into the McLaren, and then up to Ferrari, very well played. And I think that this is just an extension of the kind of thinking he's always done. Does not surprise me at all that he's looking to another team where he could be number one and where he could yeah. also just help build up a new team around him. That's the Very big, smart move. That's the big dream, though, isn't it, Christina? For any driver that's kind of uh, not doing well, at a, you know, not pushing for the title, but is, you know, has high stock everyone wants to do the hamilton to mercedes but we've seen a lot of very poor examples of that so we've seen alonso to mclaren to lead the team and rebuild it we have seen uh, daniel ricardo go to renault to try and and rebuild it and we've and we've just seen a lot of those uh, i guess what do you call them like um hail marys it's like a hail mary Mm -hmm. career move we've seen a lot more of those fail than we have seen succeed Very true. But I think if anyone can do it, it's going to be Carlos. We've seen him make good move after good move. And I kind of trust his instinct on it more than I would other drivers. And again, we've seen him make those good calls that aren't included in his job description as driver. Okay, but last thing, sorry, I'll stop. I'll I'll stop pressing this point at the moment, Christina. But what does that (laughs) say about how he feels at Ferrari? Because he's already in a top three team. Yeah, but Ferrari's a bit of a gong show as well like they (laughs) okay i would never (laughs) say that about ferrari never they they have a lot of problems that they need to solve and they don't seem to be willing to listen to him as much as he wants at the end of the day i think he's going to be happiest at a team where his voice is heard especially at this point in his career where he has years of experience why wouldn't you be and he has seen how other teams operate That's a huge advantage for Audi as they're coming in and as they're trying to establish a team. Carlos has the experience of this is what all of these teams did. This is the good and bad out of all of them. It seems like a good partnership in my mind. See, Chris, Carlos Sainz is 28 years old, which Mm. is pretty much like you. you, you, How old are you? 26, 25, 26, 26. So you it's crunch. Like 28 is really it's crunch time. Oh, I think Christina might be 28. (laughs) Oh, are you 28? Okay, sorry, but ready for pasture. (laughs) No, but it is that crunch time. Like you're meant to have like really had it all together by 28. So if you're still feeling a bit lost by 28, Uh, it might just might not work out for you. And I think that's where Carlos Sainz is, Chris. I mean, look, I don't think it's a Hamilton to Mercedes type of hail mary because let's be honest, 90 percent of the work had already been done by Mercedes when Lewis Hamilton arrived at that team. For me, this is more about Sainz is realizing that he's never going to be top dog at Ferrari. Because this rumor is going around the same time that Charles Leclerc is getting a whacking great contract extension worth nearly like 200 million or what was it, 180 or something like crazy money, ridiculous figure. So he's realized that he doesn't have the backing of the team. Where can he go? It's not going to end up at Mercedes, most likely, because even if Lewis Hamilton were to leave, Mercedes has got a raft of options that they would put in over Carlos. Being at Red Bull alongside Max, not so much a favourable option. McLaren looks like they're very much locked in for the long-term future with Norris and Piastri. So an opportunity coming up with a new manufacturer coming in 
and putting big investment into a team like Sauber and just kind of backtracking to what we were, you were talking about at the start of the segment um, there, Spanners, which is that, you know, Sauber, this Sauber-Audi deal seems very reminiscent of the BMW Sauber days back in the late uh, 2000s and uh, even the, or the BMW Williams uh, days a few years prior to that where big manufacturer comes in, chucks a load of money at the team, uh, big investment, big, uh, big stake in the team as well, builds an engine around it and creates a, a works effort together uh, with, a, with a big load of you know, manufacturer and factory support. And that could be something that suddenly launches that team further up the grid, particularly when we have a new set of regulations coming in 2026 as well. It seems like the golden opportunity to be making a move like this. Are you just, were you trying to out trumpets or just on length of monologue there? It was no, good. I just had many points to address that. Yeah, I mean, on quality, no. But lengthwise, it was about the same. No, it was a good point. Sorry. That's for you too. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Chris. Tell. I feel like I've upset you. I was sorry. I was being mean, Matt. All right. Well, I, I don't want to directly disagree with anyone here or pour cold water on this move. <laughs> that, that means but... you're about to attack someone. <laughs> but historically speaking, new teams in Formula One rarely start at the front or even close to the front. But this is not so... a new team, Matt, is it? It's an existing team yeah, and exactly. a new manufacturer at with the a start brand of new a big power unit. Though, with a, when was the last time Audi made a Formula One power unit? Oh, right, never. And and <laughs> the history of teams coming into F one with a new power unit and immediately doing well is no manufacturers coming in a year late and massively under developing mm, and underestimating yeah. talents. I know. Audi, Go ahead, run through all the excuses. Please. <laughs> Audi are already invested. They've already pulled every single race program that they've done, or they will do at the end of this year. Uh, I like the Audi people. Like, I, I've t- I mean, so I'm, as, I. as you have too, I know we've both <laughs> talked with Alan McNish in the past, and I'm sure he's involved in some way in this. I want this I to do well. Is. But I want to talk about why Carlos Sainz is moving from Ferrari. Mm. And, and you've all, you've danced around it, but it's pretty simple in my mind. When he came there, the team principal was Bonato. And I am convinced without having direct evidence that he was told, if you are ahead on track, you will get the number one, you will get the primary strategy and Leclerc behind you will get secondary strategy as it is at Mercedes and as it is at some other teams and as it absolutely isn't at some other teams. And I think with the departure of Bonanno and the arrival, arrival of Assur, I will just point out, do, do you remember, uh, was it Hungary, where they had signs on the soft tire and Leclerc on the medium tire and signs catches up to Leclerc, there's a gap and you're thinking, surely they're going to let Carlos oh, through yes. to go attack the driver ahead. Yeah. And instead it was like, no, Carlos... You are now behind Leclerc on track, and you will always be behind Leclerc on track. Even if you're five spots ahead, we'll pitch you and take 10 minutes to change your front wheel so you finish behind him because now Leclerc is our number one driver, and he always has to score more points than you, even if it kills our standing in the Constructors' Championship. And I think he took a look at that and thought, you know what? Yeah. Right now, no one thinks of me as a number two driver. See, the But thing if is- I stick around for yeah. this junk long enough they will i am out of here and i think he's like i'd rather be lead driver at williams scrapping for a point occasionally than be permanently second 
to anyone that I know on my day I can beat. And I got to say, good for you, Carlos. I applaud that. What feed are you people listening to? Because I don't, I don't get that. I didn't get that bit of radio <laughs> back and forth on my on mine. Is, was that on Canadian F1 TV, Christina? Did you hear that full dialogue that Matt just uh, detailed? I, quite frankly, the number of times that Carlos has been stuck behind Charles, I could not tell you which one of those conversations <laughs> That's happened because it keeps happening over and over and over oh, again. Yeah. So maybe no maybe Matt isn't inventing. Yeah. I I don't think so, but I'm glad we brought up Bonato because I've also heard the rumor that Bonato could become team principal at Alpine. And remember, he's the one who hired Sainz in the first place and that he might potentially be trying to, you know, lure him to Alpine, which, I mean, that's a whole bunch more chaos to that team that we don't necessarily want, need. (laughs) I don't like the terminology lure, though, Christina. It does sound quite sinister, (laughs) lure, to your doom. He's got his little fishing rod out yeah. with like number one. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's the, there's like a little number one on the ground and he's following it. And every time he gets close to it, it mysteriously disappears off into the distance. That and a very well-baked croissant. Oh. Yeah, or a pie but, on a windowsill. Exactly. But it, it just sounds like there are a lot of pieces. It's silly season. There's so much going on. But, you know, we'll see where science goes. He's very good at looking out for his own interests and... Uh, That'll be interesting. And very much a rumour, Matt, we should say. Very much, you know. Uh, but he did say, he has said. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, we don't, I don't have a source to hand here. But I, I, he did seem to do an interview where he said, you know, one of the most important things for me is that I enter 2024 knowing where my future is the, the next year. So he doesn't want to be sitting there like in a Bottas type situation. No. No, and, and and like I said, it's clear the tide has turned against him at Ferrari just based on the obvious on-track action, we can see. Uh, Bonato de Alpine is very interesting. The reason I tend to discount that a little bit more is he left Ferrari because he did. He was tired of the corporate people interfering with the Formula One team. Uh, and Alpine has provided a real big example of exactly what's likely to happen if he goes well, there. Thing so, is, yeah, but Al- Alpine, they, they're, it's either like this where it's intense and they're all over you, or they just forget about you for five years, which it, it seemed to be the case at, at one point. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I tend, I would tend to, if honestly, if I was Audi, I'd have him running my power unit right now, and maybe, maybe headed for team principal when they when they actually join the grid. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, finally, before we get on to rating the rookies and and looking at the teammate percentages we uh, we nearly we nearly dropped the ball on on this one a, a couple of weeks ago talking about who might be taking over uh, as uh, the Aston uh, the uh, sorry the Alpha Tauri main backers and there are now rumors that it is either going to be uh, Orleans or it is uh, more more widely being reported as Hugo Boss that are going to be taking over from the Red Bull sister team. And the rumour is that they will be then known as Hugo Boss Bull Racing, which just it's just more on the nose. It's more on the nose that this is Red Bull having two teams. And Red Bull having two teams has been consistently infuriating me for years now, and it doesn't look like that's going to get any better. Chris? They might drop the Hugo because they've done a lot of stuff. So that's Boss, just boss Bull Racing. Well, have you noticed all of the Hugo Boss um, uh, partnership stuff in Formula One already with drivers and, and other teams is all just Boss. And I think it's a similar thing with their Formula E uh, partnership as well, which I believe is coming to an end. Yeah. At the end of the day, the, the part that infuriates me is if they would ever do Boss and Bulls right after each other, because that's a tongue twister on its own. And you know that people are going to stop you saying the word Bulls and they're going to say balls. Oh. Like, I've already had nothing but people commenting that in the short video I did about it. It is like, try to imagine Crofty saying that they're like boss bulls are coming around <laughs> the outside bull. or make an epic, like this driver just won the race and it's boss bulls racing. It It is a tongue twister. Bulls, I don't bulls. think it's going to end well. It, yeah. It's just a mouthful. Especially, like, think of the poor people from South Essex. So I, I have friends whose surname is Bull, like Red Bull, and but they can't say Bull. So when they, they, they'll say, what's your surname? Well, it's Derek Bull, like like that, like, like like a bull that you bounce. So they constantly have to go, they have to go Bull, or they have to say, oh, I'm Derek Bull. And then they have to put, like, their hands on top of their head, like a bull's horns. And so... <laughs> So just, will nobody think of the people from, from Basildon? Will no one consider them, Chris? <laughs> well, look, I, I think, like every team name, I mean, do we call it Mercedes, AMG, Patronus? I do, yes. Well, no, yes, I just, do. Every single time, yes. Now, F- Ferrari, be... Scuderia, Ferrari, every time. Every single it'll, time. It'll just be, you know, the boss, boss racing or boss Jeep in the boss car. Well, personally, I still think Taro Basso is the best one. Taro Basso. Yes, that is, that is really good. Are we going for that, Christina? Toro Basso. I would like that better, quite frankly. Just as long as you don't invite people to say bulls and balls, that is, that's just a disaster waiting to happen. It, Especially if Red Bull eventually want to sell their second team, get a profit, or just do anything with it. You want to increase the team's value and not have it weekly being ridiculed and memed and become just like a laughing tongue twister. Ah, oh, Chris, it's it's a load of bullocks. <laughs> yes. Somebody, somebody somewhere at a barbecue is listening to this and has just very quickly turned around and go, what did he just say? Uh, <laughs> but, but what's interesting to me about this is that 
it's the first time that Red Bull has kind of given up the naming rights That's to this team. True. In terms of yeah, what what we're gonna be knowing it as in the shorthand because since they bought the Minardi team, it's been Toro Rosso, which is yeah. Red Bull in Italian, yeah, and then Alpha Tauri, which is a Red Bull fashion brand. Mm. So the fact that we're giving it up to a rival fashion brand says quite a lot about Red Bull's uh, new intentions with Formula One, I think. And this ultimately is really fallout from the death of Dietrich Mateschitz. This is Red Bull saying, we don't want to have to pay as much as we're paying. And if we auction off these rights to someone, then paying for this team becomes less of a less of a drain on our Red Bull profits. And not just Red Bull, the Formula One team, but the larger corporation, the marketing corporation that is responsible for all of their motorsports motor activity. And along with this, we should probably mention that they're consolidating the team. I wasn't clear if they were getting rid of the Fienza shop entirely, but most of the activity will now be in England, in a town that apparently is called Bister, but is spelled <laughs> Bychester, and locals uh, mate, inform me uh, is actually pronounced yeah. wedding cake. Yeah, no, don't, right? Because <laughs> I remember like just being a truck driver, and, and, and I was looking on a map, and I pulled over nearby, and I asked someone, because uh, it's spelt Bicester, and I said, "Like exactly, is, is Bicester around here?" And like, oh, God, you, you can't right. possibly know if you don't know that it's pronounced Bister. And it's uh, and uh, and this this lady just was like, um, "Oh my goodness!" After pretending she didn't know what I meant, then was like, "Oh, you mean you mean you mean Bister?" Oh, shut up! You know exactly what I meant. And it's the same That's with Spanners. It's you, shut up, you, Chris. You're about to defend Toaster as well, which is clearly Towchester. That's clearly what wrong. I was going to say. Near Silverstone, <laughs> where Silverstone is, that is clearly Towchester, not Toaster. And I won't have a word said otherwise. But you've lived in England, Spanners, for a I long time. It. You know we spell places weird. All right. We like, are like, bad what, what is at it? how things are said and spelt. It's not yeah. Leicester. It's, you know, it's... <laughs> it should be. Okay. I know, it probably should be. It's like watching Americans okay. trying to name uh, mm. UK towns. It is hilarious. I mean, for me, personally, Bista, I just call it, you know, uh, the worst shopping centre in the mm. world. I've completely forgotten what the topic is, to be honest. I'm now just furious about <laughs> about Toaster and Bista. Yeah, there we go. Or Bicester. I've forgotten Sorry, what they are. I had no idea it would trigger you so badly. So upsetting. Sorry, Matt, you had a point, I think. No, I, my, my point was that as part of this, they're consolidating a lot of the activities in England rather than in Italy, which should offer them a much better base of technical knowledge to be hired and drawn upon um, than where they are now. But, but it's clearly Red Bull looking to both improve performance of this team and cut costs at the same time. And uh, the other thing they have in common is Lauren Mackey's, formerly of Ferrari, I believe as their new team principal to replace um, Franz Toast, who is, of course, Toast at the end of the season. Nice. Pretty good segue. I think that will do us as we move on to the, the old teammate battle what's-its. All right, we're going to start. Let's start with the, the rookies, because that, that was going to be my main focus for this show, was the, the rookie battle. So I think we're going to start at, at Williams, where Alex Albon finds himself up against a new American hope, Logan Sargent. So uh, we need to establish really here some 
some loyalties because I, I, I like when people declare who they're supporting. And I don't mind a little bit of like national bias. So if you're American and you want to support Logan Sargent and you want to let that affect and cloud his performance, that's fine. And you'll hear from Matt and he'll, he will have a distorted American view of Logan Sargent's performance. But we declare that up front. But where does Canada lie on this, Christina? Like, when you hear there's an American driver in F1, do you instantly, like, do you try and put a hex on him? Do you, do you bite your thumb at him? No. Quite frankly, as long as no one mistakes us for being Americans, we right. really don't you care. You don't mind. Just stay, um, stay out of the way. I, like, the number of people on TikTok who assume that I'm American yeah. and are like, ah, oh, typical American. Typical. And I'm like, don't you dare. <laughs> How dare you? I'm from Canada. I am kind. I am polite. <laughs> uh, there's a lot going on in the States. And yes, there are nice Americans. Yada, yada, yada. But polite, the world perception <laughs> of Americans yeah. is different than the Canadians, you know? And at the end of the day, Logan, he just, he actually hasn't spent that much time in the States either. Like he grew up doing the European circuit. Right. So even though it's like, oh my gosh, he's American. It's like, he's, he's really not that American. Which is an interesting just cultural study at the end of the day. But as far as his performance goes, it's very much he's settling in. He's making all of those rookie mistakes you would kind of expect from a typical rookie. He's sounds so dejected on the radio and disappointed in himself, which gains him a lot of sympathy from me of just like, yep, you made a mistake, bud. I'm glad you know it and acknowledge it. He has high standards from himself is what I'm taking from that, which bodes well. It's always good when you're able to be self-critical of yourself, especially at that high of a level. So I'm anticipating that he will start doing better. And Vowels seems as a team principal to be very willing to be patient with a rookie, which puts Sargent in such a good place. So, oh, so Canadians are deluded about Logan Sargent as well. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't realize this, Matt. So you and Christina, samesies. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the Canadian, America, we're all on the same continent here. So we got the stuffs in common, you know? Yeah, you and you, anyway. Canada and Alaska, pretty much the same. Yeah, basically. Um, we just call ourselves different things. Anyway, Logan Sargent, he is a talented driver. As a rookie, if you ask my honest opinion, I would grade him as a C. He's doing exactly what I would expect a rookie to do. He's not doing that much better. He's definitely not doing that much worse. Uh, his best finished has been an 11th in a Williams, which I think is an achievement for anybody. We can all acknowledge. He was very nearly through to Q3 in Saudi Arabia, except for that weird track limits thing. And his best three finishes have been 11th, 12th, and 13th. And twice now, he's finished ahead of Alex, although that was early in the season. So I, I think as the season has gone on, he's gotten up into his own head a little bit, trying to find that last little bit of performance. And he just needs to, well, I would just say if I was, I, you, literally all you got to do is just settle down and drive the car, son. You'll be fine. Yeah. Stop overthinking it. See, yeah, he's being impatient. Oh, Chris, early on, you and I in the Mist Apex project, we we did we had the discussion about whether to to bring North Americans into the the project, and you said absolutely not, they're nuts. And why didn't I listen to you, Chris? Why didn't I listen? I know no bring, one ever heeds my advice, and they some, always regret it. Bring, always bring some every... order into this. Logan Sargent has done nothing but disappoint in his rookie year. I don't know about disappointing. I mean, we would be nice if he was a bit closer to Alex, especially since the cars got more competitive. 
uh, as the season's gone on and they've started to find their feet on certain circuits like the low downforce uh, circuits because the Williams is a very slippery car and so with the ones on the long straight they tend to do quite well it's where Alex has been scoring the points but he's not matching Alex in terms of that he's not going with him so I'd say in terms of a rookie he's probably bang on the barometer that De Vries is massively behind and Piastri is way ahead of I will disagree of course, because you I will. think I, I I think I mean like honestly, we'll get to Piastri in a minute. But in terms of where a rookie is, the main issue with the Williams is the tires. Alex has multiple years' experience learning how to manage Pirelli tires that's in a fair. Formula One that's car. Fair. Logan only has one, and that's that's why you will see him, especially in the race, fall away because he's still learning how to do those jobs that Alex has already learned how to do. This is classic rookie. I think in this series, with the lack of testing for rookies, I think you have to really give them two full seasons to properly evaluate them. We'll get to why DeVries didn't get two full seasons in a minute, I'm sure. But Piastri has finished ahead of his teammate exactly one time more than Sargent has. So a lot of what you... a lot of what you're saying is Piastri being brilliant is actually Piastri being in simply a much better car that can finish higher up the grid, I no. would argue. Oh, Chris, no, Chris. Not please. in the slightest. Yeah. That is a classic <laughs> case of statistics being deliberately misleading. How because, is that misleading? Look, I told because... you exactly what the statistic was, didn't I? Yes, but the statistic <laughs> is rubbish. Okay. Why? Look Why at is the how statistic? close. If, if it was a... Rubbish statistic, why isn't it different? Me and Christina because can take a break. If you look at where <laughs> the relative between Norris and Piastri versus Sargent and Albon, the gap is humongous between the Williams drivers. It's been much narrower between the McLaren drivers. Let's not also forget as well that at the start of the season, that team was absolutely lost to the point where, what was it, the, the Austria race, for example, where Norris had the big upgrade on his car and Piastri didn't. If you just want to see how much progress that team has made in a very short space of time. So it's not just about that because Piastri has been up there in the last couple of races, it's because he's been up there with Lando throughout pretty much the entire season. Ah, back to me. Well, I would say that the difference is the McLaren was already a better car. Even the tragic version they brought at the beginning of the season than the Williams the Jetta certainly proves that, that, that Sargent has what it takes to finish ahead of Albon. And as I said, the difference is the McLaren is easier to manage with regards to its tires, which is why you see Piastri finishing closer. And, and as proof from Spa, no less, in the sprint race, we have Max Verstappen on the radio saying, I'm not worried about Piastri. I'm watching him drift his way around these corners. He's going to kill his tires. That was before the safety car made it like super easy for him. But managing your tires is an art. It's easier in a McLaren because the downforce is better because the car is better than it is in a Williams. And the other thing that I wanted to bring up that was unrelated to the fact that you're wrong about this was that wrong. the Williams Flat really wrong. the Williams really isn't gotten that much better. It's simply come onto the tracks where it's at its best relative to the other cars. And Williams themselves admit this. They've got about Monza left where they might yeah. score points. And then after that, they're just going to be hanging on because the car hasn't really yet been developed in the way that Vowles envisions. Uh, bring it on. Bring so, it on. Look, trumpets. There's not a single iota piece of 
evidence that could suggest that Logan Sargent is doing a better job in that Williams than Oscar Piastri is doing in the McLaren or would do in any other car on the grid. When you, you mean aside at, from the ones I've already brought up? The ones you oh brought up that are just excuses for Logan Sargent. It's absolute nonsense. Okay, okay, let's get some sense in the room. Christina. I'm going to bring up what I think is a very sensible point, and that's Logan Sargent initially, they didn't want to bring him into Formula One this year. They wanted him to have one more year in F2 and then bring him in next year. Oscar had a year as a reserve driver at Alpine where they have admitted to aggressively training him, getting him a lot of sim time. So even though they're both rookies this year, they are coming from a very different place as far as experience goes in Formula One. So in my mind, what Logan is doing is really, really good for the experience that he's had. And Piastri also, he won F3, he won F2 back to back. We've heard the stat a million times that it's him, Charles Leclerc and George Russell are the only people to have done that. <laughs> they're just on slightly different playing fields at this point and comparing them is i don't know i think it's a fool's errand kind of chris you, formula you, renault yeah. title as well back oh to back there to you back. go chris i think you're right the yep. north american experiment has completely failed i should yep. have listened to you <laughs> i'm so sorry my friend but we should move on to piastri so oscar piastri who really like you have to kind of put your mind back to the, the the previous season where he was offered the seat or it was announced that he had the seat with Alpine and he issued a tweet saying, nah, no way, bro. I ain't, I ain't racing for no Renault slash Alpine. And you, at the time you go, wow, that was, that is some, that is some balls really. And then you find out that Mark Webber is his agent and his driver manager and you go, oh, okay, well, I guess that kind of makes sense in context. And you go, well, all of this means he has to be worth it. And at the beginning of the season, it didn't necessarily look like he was going to be setting the world on fire. Now, the, the bar for rookies at the moment is low. So Matt here, who I respect very much, says things like, we need to give rookies two years to settle in. And I could already hear, like I could hear, Helmut Marco doesn't listen to this show, but he just had a twinge in his chest and he didn't know what it was. He went, oh, something's wrong in the universe. Two years for a rookie, that is not like the Red Bull way, and that shouldn't be anyway in elite sport. Can you imagine someone floundering in central midfield for Manchester United for my football knowledge is out of date? I don't know if Man you are, are good anymore. Okay, let's let's stick to the the, the, the the solid teams. Imagine someone floundering for Colchester United in the midfield for two seasons and getting that much of a chance. But really, he's been given a third of the season piastri. And now he is looking genuinely on it. So he looks every bit like a Grand Prix driver, Chris. And I think that makes yeah. a mockery of Matt's give someone two seasons. The bar for rookies is now astronomical because Oscar Piastri has shown you can take it to Lando Norris in half a season. This is obviously very different to what it was, say, 15 years ago when there was an awful lot more testing opportunities. 20 years ago, there was unlimited testing opportunities. So there was plenty of time to give rookies an awful lot more mileage in a car to do certain simulations and get through all these kind of different scenarios that they can present them with. And then they're way more up to speed by the time the season actually rolls around compared to where they are now. But for me, that does not change the fundamental fact 
that if you throw the rookie in at the deep end, and if they are one of the greatest racing drivers in the world, which is what Formula One is all about, then they will swim rather than sink. And I think we may well lose a lot more drivers, you know, with this kind of mentality, but that's what sets drivers like Piastri so. apart from the I rest. I think so. I think so. Look, Matt, I, I get your your let's have, you know, two seasons for, for people to get embedded in, but Lewis Hamilton, three races, and he was already obviously a superstar. Max Verstappen, 17 years old, making a mockery of people saying that he was too young to be in the sport. When people are good, they're damn good straight away. Your yeah, head is in your that. hands. Your mm. head is in your hands. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it Show hurts me. to hear you mangle these analogies this badly. To go back to your football analogy, that would be great if your new midfielder was never allowed to practice with the team. <laughs> or a football. And only allowed to play in a game. <laughs> with a ping pong Okay, ball. as yeah. a rookie. Yeah. Yeah, judge him then. That's what I All would right. say. All right. Well, okay, Matt. Okay, how about this? Show me the driver that has looked pretty bad for a season and then turned up and blown the world away. Don't they don't drive as Kobayashi? Oh, please. he blew the world away. He's, I'm, he, he was absolutely nothing through the junior series. They put him in a Formula One car, and off he went. You can't Different use Formula Kobayashi against me all the time. You know how much I love Kamui Kobayashi. I love him too. That's why. Yeah, yeah, that's why, just, yeah that's, but he didn't set the world on fire, did he? He didn't. The, no. the drivers that make an impression make an impression almost immediately. And what I would say to you is that in this formula. And now, like, you're blaming me for this two-year thing. But again, it was Franz Toast, team principal, who said this, that under these regulations, with these testing restrictions, you really need two full years to evaluate whether or not a driver is going to adapt themselves to the Formula One rule set. And I will point out that for all everyone's like, Piastri is taking it to Norris, he finished ahead of him in exactly three races. Three races, which is one more than Logan Sargent has finished ahead of it's, Albon. It's it's just noise right now. The he's a talented driver. He clearly is is got it. Don't get me wrong. He's clearly the best of the rookies. I wouldn't argue that point. But in terms of results, he has yet to show me he can manage the tires over a full Grand Prix distance like Norris can. And the and you see how Norris relates to him. Norris doesn't perceive him to be a threat this season for that exact reason, because he knows on the balance of the races, it's not going to be close. If you look at the balance of the points, it's not going to be close. Piastri is no threat to Norris this season, and, and, and we are misrepresenting where they are. A lot of what Piastri has shown us is that when he's in the points and he's up front, he can and will race with people with, uh, with experience. And with alacrity and not being pressured into mistakes, which other drivers we've seen in those conditions will make. There I would give you, Piastri has it, but I don't think he's the full package yet. And so we need to give him another season to see where he winds up. Well, of course, Piastri isn't the full package yet. We're, we're talking about talent and potential here, not just how many times they've beaten their teammate over the I course of the season. Goalpost. So far, that is not a shift of the goalpost in any way, <laughs> shape, or oh form. Oh my god, you too! Like, do I? Do we need an intervention here? <laughs> are you Sorry, two still friends? I mean, there's no race. What? I'm having so much fun. I are, you, are you two still friends? Has, What's happening? At what point has something like he was anywhere near close to challenging Albon? Jetta, Jetta. I'm old. sorry, Jetta. He was full on Q3, like third wow. race of okay. the year. Okay, if I'm... it weren't for that track limits violation, he would have been in Q3. And that would have been a huge thing. So, yes, I will give you that. I, th I think if you ask me who's more talented, I would say Piastri. I wouldn't argue with that. But Chris, in terms of results, oh. 
relative to where their teams are, it's not that different. Okay, Christina, I'm so sorry as a relatively new member of the panel. I'd love to say that it's not normally like this, but I don't want to lie to, to someone as accomplished as no, yourself. No, this is quite extreme by us, even by our standards. So let's let's move on to something uh, a little less emotive. So Nick DeFries is a is a, was a, a rookie brought in under what now seems like fairly odd circumstances with with Christian Horner being against it and it sort of being pushed on him with him being a Mercedes driver but also coming in on the hype of being a an FIA champion with Formula E so he has he did he did he do enough did he do enough to get a bit, a bit more of a chance because Matt says he should have 10 years to prove that he can do quite well but we kept hearing his name for the wrong reasons. And it, it was, you know, little incidences. It was it was binning it in qualifying. It was just tapping that wall where other people didn't. Street circuits seem to be a, a, a very specific uh, chink in his armour, Christina. But were Red Bull too harsh? Was he doing okay? Given that his benchmark was Yuki Snowda. I think he was being judged way too hard. And there's there's two things here. The first being that a lot of people pointed out he was still driving the F1 car as if it was a Formula E car, where you get a lot more punchy, where you have your elbows out in a very different way. Formula E, they're constantly banging into each other and it's perfectly normal. Whereas here, that's not acceptable at all. It's a very different environment. And him needing that time to adjust is fair. The the other big thing is that I don't think that it was at all about his performance, why he got axed. I think it was entirely about the fact that they wanted Daniel Ricardo. They want him back in that Red Bull seat. No matter what they say about Checo being safe, it's like, I'm sorry, but if Danny can get anywhere close to Checo's performance, if they have a choice between their favorite, who I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm convinced that if Christian Horner, Horner could, he would have Sebastian Vettel, Max Verstappen, and Daniel Ricardo <laughs> sitting on Santa's lap for his Christmas card each and every year. These are his favorite drivers. He wants them all home. He doesn't care about DeVries. They they want Danny Rick back in that Red Bull seat if he comes close to Checo's performance. And this is part of that big plan. They wouldn't have been pointing out DeVries' mistakes if they didn't have Daniel waiting in the wings. They would have just ignored Alpha Tauri like they keep doing these past two years. Oh. Right. So I just want to... As jump- I'm drinking a Red Bull. <laughs> I, I want to jump in on this because because I I agree with you. I think DeVries was a terrible choice for them to begin with. I think they knew he was a terrible choice. I don't believe the team ever really gave him the support someone like that would need to be successful. And at the end of the day, I think they only went with him, one, because of the optics, and two, because they hoped, and I think this is why we saw him dispatch so rapidly from Alvatari, they hoped he would provide a benchmark as a seasoned driver for Yuki Tsunoda that they could they could they could adjudge Tsunoda and say, Oh yeah, we can see clearly he's got Red Bull potential, or oh yeah, clearly he does not. And the fact of the matter is he never made that happen. Now, whether that's Nick's fault or the team's fault, or as is usually the case, a combination of a lot of different factors is really irrelevant. What I can tell you is that he did finish ahead of Yuki twice. His best finish was 12th and his best three finishes were 12th, 14th and 14th. And relative to everybody else on this board, except for Ricardo, who's only had two races and may not actually be a rookie as far as we're concerned. It's not it's not as good as the others did. So if we're uh, if we're at the um, Great British 
bake off and the end of the week and somebody's got to go? Well, yeah, from a statistical point of view, DeVries absolutely earned the axe. I don't, so, I don't like that show. I think it's quite boring. I think watching people make food is, is dull. And like it's even more dull watching people judge whether food is good or not. I agree with so much of what's been said, but that point right there is no. The one I it's agree a with terrible show, and the fact that it's Americans awful. have become obsessed with the great British people. Have you making seen what my cake. daughter now bakes because of that show? Hush oh, well, your mouth. I don't let my daughter do that because I struggle enough not eating cake all the time. But it's a bad show and a bad premise, and Americans are, are wrong for having embraced that so deeply. Glad Have you seen agree. what they put on TLC? Like, <laughs> American TV standards are very oh, different. Oh, that explains it. Okay, so if American TV is that dire that you're all having to watch British people cook in a variety of competence, so, like, it's not even, like, the best people cooking. It's it's people having a go at cooking and then being berated for not cooking very well most of the time. Uh, yeah, I'm judging all of you. That is not a good show. <laughs> anyway, Chris, continue. Can I talk about Nick DeFries? Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> is that what we were talking about? Oh, wait. Is this an F1 show? I just keep getting lost. Uh, can you tell I'm literally going on holiday tomorrow? Yes. Ah, I see. So I agree with largely everything that's been said, but I will refute the adaptability argument as a defense for DeFries. Because for me, he, he's, he's used to running multiple programs in a season. He used to combine formerly with the World Endurance Championship, very different type of racing. But even putting that aside, if you have to be reminded not to drive a Formula E car with an electric motor on street tires and no downforce where you bang into each other constantly and not drive a Formula One car like that, then frankly, you don't deserve to be on the Formula One grid. All right. Maybe. Savage. All right. Let's move on to some of the other teammate battles. This is really interesting, Matt. This is a great piece of work by you because it means that you actually got in there and you uh, you had a spreadsheet and used a calculator, I assume. Um. Well, yes. Mm, there you go. Uh, like is, I would do that cool. math in my head. <laughs> well, okay, exactly. well, this is good. This is good. If you see the, the percentage of points each teammate got, I'll run down the list quickly and then we'll see, you know, what people might want to comment on. Um, not, not really a surprise. Uh, Max, 62% of Red Bull's points. Mercedes Lewis, 60% of Red Bull's points. Alonso, 76%. Leclerc, 52 So that's close. Norris, 67 But, you know, Piastri's kind of, as we've said, starting, oh, is to, he a starting rookie? to get a grip of stuff. Really? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, sorry. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm having fun here. Come on. Ocon, 61. Can't believe that stat got included. Hulkenberg, 82. Whew. That's uh I'm a Kevin Magnussen fan. That hurts. We might have to visit that one first. Albon and Sonoda, 100%. Although that's a little bit different down the down the bottom of the grid because F1 still refuses to give people points all the way to the bottom, which they absolutely should. Okay, where, where should we start? Let's start with um, uh, Haas. Is there, any, is there any Kevin Magnussen fans apart from me in the, in the panel? Every- well, I quite like him. Oh, you quite like him. That's different to being a fan and a well-wisher. So I've, I was a well-wisher of Kevin Magnussen. I'm a well-wisher of Kevin. I'm a well-wisher of a lot of drivers. All though, right, okay. But this is looking bad. So he was up, he, really... he looked good against Grosjean, I would say. Yeah. That was, it looked like has had a, an actual good driver pairing. Hulkenberg coming in, like the ultimate journeyman super sub driver, 
I would have put all my space points on Magnuson beating Hulkenberg. Yeah. It, it has but, been remarkable how wrong I was on that. I put it all down to Magnuson continuing to breed. I don't think yeah. having kids is something that Formula One drivers should do. I think each kid is worth <laughs> three, three tenths. tenths. Three tenths yeah, yeah. minimum <laughs> because, like, you're so tired. Babies are awful. If you're listening to my voice and you don't have children, really think about it. It absorbs everything. Like, if you think I'm a bad presenter now, you know, I was slightly less bad before children. And with each kid, I lost the ability to speak a little bit more. My golf handicap increased by eight when my second child was born. I lost my gaming room, okay? I lost my gaming room. I had a whole room just for computer games. And my second child stole it to sleep in. Just to sleep in, Chris. So no wonder Kevin Magnuson can't keep up. For me, this is one of the biggest surprises of the season. It is, yeah, so think, far. yeah you're right. Um, you could argue that the performance of the Haas is so peaky, and that's maybe why there is a larger points discrepancy. But coming to think of it, it's always normally Hulkenberg ahead of Magnussen, regardless of where they are in terms of the actual team order on any given Grand Prix. And it really does recontextualize the last few years of Haas's driver lineups because of course remember we started off in the the, the woeful era with Mazepin and Schumacher and they got rid of Mazepin for Magnussen and Magnussen wiped the floor with Schumacher so they got yeah. rid of Schumacher and now Hulkenberg's wiping the floor with uh, Mag- Magnussen I think there's there's an awful lot to be said there without any evidence at all because like I just did the percentages here I'm going to go with my perception of the Haas, much like the Aston, is it was very front-loaded in terms of its performance relative to the field. I don't see Magnussen as always being that far off of Hulkenberg and occasionally ahead of him, but I think he's had, and now we could blame it on the kids here, extraordinarily bad luck between qualifying and the race in terms of you know having incidents and cars not working out for him. But most of the points available to Haas happened very early in the season, and Hulkenberg gathered the majority of those. And I think that's why you see this number like this. I suspect that if he, if that if they keep him around for next season, you will see a more even battle. But the Haas project has almost as many problems as the Alpine project does, just in different ways, unfortunately. So it, I think, is going to be a bit of a mm. random swing. Uh, because the, neither driver really has the car they need to be um, consistent and successful at the moment. Peaky, peaky performance. I really hope Kevin Magnussen can can kind of get it together. Like I, I'm, I'm not even joking. Like when you have a little baby, everything everything changes, and like you have pressures at home because no matter how supportive I, uh, the mother of his children is, there will be different pressures. He will be expected to do different things when he's at home. And instead of all the time on the phone, oh, how is your race car race going? I I hope it's going really well. uh, The focus of it changes a lot. Like the phone calls when we had little babies, when I was uh, away working around the world, was, oh, my God, this horrific thing has happened. Uh, Please help me fixing this over the phone on a video call whilst you're in a a random bar in the arse end of nowhere around the world fulfilling some contract you care nothing about. It's very, very different. So maybe as that settles down, if he can survive this contract and be in F1 in 2024, then perhaps he can sort of resettle and go again, unless he makes the terrible mistake 
to have three children, which is exactly the wrong amount of children to have. If you're going to have children, for the love of God, stop at one or two. Anyway, let's move on to Aston Martin. And um, there is there is a Canadian issue here. So, uh, Christina, I assume you're a Lance Stroll fan. And the percentages are that Lance Stroll only has 24% of Aston Martin's points. It's bad. It's... Uh... It's bringing shame to the nation. <laughs> shame to the nation. That's I wasn't expecting that quite. But we have very high standards, okay? Right. If he's our one and only, like coming off of last year, we need to have a bit more Canadian pride. Yeah. There needs to be a Latifi. little bit more effort. Yeah. But you know, at the end of the day, it it's partially because yes, Alonso is a two time champion and he's absolutely phenomenal, and Lance is a solid midfield driver, and it kind of feels now, like he's he is just slipping a little yeah. bit below average now. Which, when you're in an Aston Martin at the start of the season, that was a good setup. That was a well-performing car, especially comparatively to everybody else. And still... This is very bad. And no, he can't really get fired. He has to choose to leave and step away. But you do have to wonder if he lost that little bit of mojo that he had and is now kind of just like, like what is he doing? I don't know. So, like, when, uh, when Perez won in... When Perez won in Istanbul in the pink... In the, in the force, it, it was Racing Point. It was pink, wasn't it? Oh, the, the, yes. the Sakir Grand Prix. Yeah, the Sakir Grand Prix. When he won that, there was this there was this shot of Lawrence Stroll next to his son pointing at Perez saying that 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 could have been you, that sh- or that should have been you, or something like that. So there's very much this kind of, you know, this, this fatherly push for him to go forward. And I believe that Lawrence Stroll is making an, an earnest effort. But he's come up across one of the, the greats of Formula One and it's it's not looking good, so you have to kind of wonder. Well, what's the what's the game plan going forward for Project Stroll? Like, is there any hope for it, or is this now is this now a busted flush? Did they think, oh, he did quite well against Vettel, he's going to also look quite good against Alonso, therefore we've now we've shown the world. Well, look, look, he was quite good against Alonso. Of course, Alonso beat him. He's one of the greats. Then Alonso retires. Then Aston Martin become great, and he becomes world champion. But that project has been derailed because he, Christina's right. I I think he is hireable as a a midfield number two driver. But honestly, like the any any hope Project Stroll had of showing him to be a top top driver, Matt, is now gone. And I'm going to briefly resist the opportunity oh. to bring all Connor into this conversation. Oh and instead, <laughs> what I want to talk about, and and this is this is legitimate now is the fact that he had that preseason accident, missed all of testing. And again, we talk about Aston being front-loaded in terms of how they plan to score their points for the season. He was at his weakest when the car itself was at its strongest. And so I think from a percentage point of view, this might be overstating the Alonso versus Stroll battle a little bit. So what you're saying is that teammate battles involving Alonso can have misleading stats. Is that what you say? Are you saying, Matt, that the points for one of Alonso's teammates might not, not necessarily be the greatest indicator of overall performance between those two teammates? Well, I'm just saying you have to consider context 
when you're looking at something okay. like 76% versus Okay, because I would never and make sure that you're accurately reflecting Because I would never reality. I would never consider that kind of context when say comparing Alonso versus Ocon in the points. So I, I obviously did much better in the points than Stroll is currently doing. Yes, thank you for bringing that up. Oh, okay, but we should we, what you're saying is we should apply context to the points difference between Ocon and Alonso as well. Okay, good. Now, I'm Almost glad like we should apply context to uh, rookie battles against their teammates as well, but that's just that's by the by. <laughs> this is crazy talk. Okay, oh, Chris is still you're still smarting from that, are you? I'm sorry. <laughs> it was really just no. A bit I of just fun. I love it when you do an absolute U-turn on your own opinions. Um, for me, Spanners. <laughs> okay. The future of Project Stroll, though, yeah. should be forget Formula One because you don't have to be in Formula One to be considered a top line driver. If anything, being in Formula One this long has damaged his reputation too much. Take that Aston Martin Valkyrie project that they, for some reason, shelved. Actually go and take it to Le Mans and stick him in endurance racing where he suddenly has a much, much better chance of ending up on top because you're a combination of three drivers. And what you tend to get is the not-as-good drivers, their performance can be masked a little bit more and you can still come out on top. And for me, if they went ahead and won the Le Mans 24-hour, that would be enough to change the perception of Lance Stroll. Because look at what happened with Antonio Giovinazzi this year, for example. Nobody thought or anything of him in Formula One. Now he's a Le Mans 24-hour winner, and we all think very differently of him. Matt? Well, I just, I guess the thing that occurs to me is that Alonso is not forever for the Formula One world. We know that Aston has allegedly had a toy taken away from them by the FIA. Oh, yes. We, we, we'll, um, I was going to say, Matt, we will, I think we go into that another time when there's a bit more information. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. But, but this all plays into, I don't think the people evaluating Lance are under any illusions about his performance relative to Aston. But I do believe that that number is a little bit misleading relative to the Alonso versus Stroll absolute comparison. And... Frankly, if I'm his dad and Alonzo gets me a car that can win a world championship, but then is too old to win it and my son wins it, well, then, hey, these things happen. That's what I would say. Excellent. That's a great start to our summer content. So please stay tuned to Missed Apex Podcast. Make sure you subscribe on your podcatcher of choice so that you're downloading every single episode, even if you're not listening. I know it's a bit naughty, but just do the auto download thing. That really, really helps us. And because of you guys... Like we're doing fantastically in the charts. So thank you so much. In the iTunes charts in the US and the UK, we're regularly fourth or fifth. So we are fourth or fifth behind the BBC effort, uh, P1 with Matt and Tommy and the race media. And then after that, it's us. And we are often in the US charts above the, the race media as well. And while in the US charts, number one is the ringer. We, and they have a very handsome and clever contributor on for their race reviews uh, for most races as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. But make sure you do subscribe and download and go and check out our YouTube as well. So you can see our faces and stuff and what we look like. And if you're enjoying this, do consider supporting us. Patreon.com forward slash Apex. $1.99 for an ad free feed. $5 is basically uh, the next tier up, but you get everything else. You get uh, the Slack group, you get the extra content, and you get the satisfaction of knowing that you are helping independent content creators continue to do this silliness. If it wasn't for you, 
we would we would face a lot more pressure from other things. But because we are so well supported on Patreon, we we continue to just do this knowing that we are secure for the next year or so. And people drop out of Patreon all the time. So just come and cycle in, see if it's for you. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Go and follow our panel. Christina Mace. Christina with no H. So just C-R-I-S-T-I-N-A. Christina Mace, it's the Gravel Trap F1 pit stop. And that has been going strong all year. And you guys, like I said before, you cover a lot of different topics it's a it's a sideways look at f1 and uh, like you said i think you were saying it's um it's less time sensitive it is the goal is to put out timeless information that is going to be relevant for a couple seasons at least before regulations change and i have to go in and highlight everything again but a lot of regulation talk a lot of history about the tracks it's uh it's a good time over at gravel trap f1 so no that's not what we do we chuck stuff out that is almost immediately irrelevant so and so often I look back at if I ever catch a show from like a month ago, I go, oh, man, we were we, we did get that out pretty quickly. But man, we were very, very wrong. So go and follow Christina. The links will be in the show notes below. Chris Stevens has no problem. Like I think like you and I and Matt, we were the ones that were like, let's just spit this stuff out quickly. Don't worry about facts. We ain't no journos. Let's just say things. That was all hard for me because I was a <laughs> you were a journalist at the time as well. <laughs> so I really, really wanted uh, no. to uh, take a bit more time over it. But, no, to uh, be fair, no, like it has this. always just been me that has gone. I will say things as soon as they come into my brain, <laughs> and if they're wrong, so be it. But thankfully, I have people like you and Matt and uh, and Christina and and to a lesser extent the others to correct me immediately. Also, I'm not a journalist anymore, so it doesn't no. matter. I haven't got a reputation to uphold. Yeah, I, and I'm definitely not a journalist. I've had arguments on radio where someone said, oh, well, you didn't really research that. And I've gone, yes, I'm definitely not a journalist. But this was the actual management. And they said, well, perhaps you could have some journalistic qualities. And I said, no, I don't know how to do that. And that's the story of why I'm not on radio anymore. But go and well, follow the, Chris. The, yeah, the journalistic qualities do help me out in the commentary box. Of course they Which do. you can hear me on, and you can see elements of my new commentary career uh, at Chris on Racing on my social medias. Do it. Do it. I'm and if you And if you want to hear him, oh my you goodness. can watch our latest iRacing videos, where he is the sole commentator. Yeah. For, sole, uh, solo commentary is really hard, but I also would uh, direct everyone to our Formula Renault 3.5 round two at Silverstone. Links will be in the show notes below. If you just want to watch a bit of sim racing, if you're a fan of it, or you just want to see how badly a spanners can do starting P3 in the reverse top 20, then yeah, for all me- by all means, watch me throw away a podium in race two. And I'm assuming, Chris, that the commentary was very, very kind when that happened. Uh, I, I can't... I'm- <laughs> to be honest, I cannot remember okay. how I noted this. He cannot confirm or deny. But that, that you can we yeah. can we just um, resist uh, showcasing any kind of quality on my half from that particular production? Why? Just because I don't I don't want to guarantee any kind. of... Are you saying you were terrible? Was, okay. Def- I, th- I thought it was, I mean, it was far from my best. Oh, uh, well, I think that Chris at 80% is definitely better than most people at 100%. He's a, he's a commentator that will be taking over. You will be sick of hearing Chris Stevens in the future. And you're already sick of hearing uh, Matt Trumpets. Go and follow him at MattPT55. And uh, it's not your birthday anymore. I don't have to be nice to you. Follow no. me. Follow you me instead. You have to be nice to me because I'm old now. <laughs> 
follow me at Spanners Ready on Twitter. Like I said, all the links in the show notes below. Go and follow all of us at Spam, our, our Twitters and our Instagrams. And now, coming up, I'm going to play you the interview with Jan Moldenborough and Archie Medekwe. And I'll confess straight up that I was like an excited puppy dog. And I was so in awe of being on this. It was all virtual press junkets. So I had to go through like Sony Pictures official handling and I had to go through their like vetting procedure. And by the time we got to the interview, I was just going, oh my goodness, I'm speaking to people from a Hollywood film. And, uh, and also I was very sweaty. It was a hot day and I had adrenaline pumping through my bones. But if, if there is going to be a film about sim racing clashing with motor racing, it's so in my ballpark that I, I will not apologise too much for how excited I was. So the, the movie is Gran Turismo, based on a true story. And here's me speaking to the stars and the inspiration behind a actual in-cinema Hollywood movie. Hey everyone, Spanners here. I've got possibly the coolest interview we've ever had here on the show. Here on Mist Apex, obviously we're massive motorsport fans, but we're also keen sim racers of varying talent. So if you tell me there's a movie about a sim racer that ended up on real tracks around the world because of how good a sim racer he was, I would say, hook me up. Well, there is such a movie. It's called Gran Turismo, based on the real-life GT Academy that took the best sim racers in the world and put them on track. Joining me is that sim racer turned deity, Jan Mardenborough. Hey, how's it going, Jan? Very good, Bob. And also joining me today, we have the actor that brought it to life on the big screen. We've got Archie Medekwe. Hello, Archie. Hey, how's it going? Uh, Archie, I've seen the film. Archie, you were absolutely fantastic. It really did just paint a picture of what a normal, relatable guy Jan was, just with a dream in his heart. Oh, thanks. That's really kind of you. Thank you very much. And uh, I would say... Have you? Did you stalk him to find that out? Because if I was if I was having a film made about me, I would make sure that I also got portrayed as a very nice, relatable guy. <laughs> well, I think spending just five minutes at the end, you realise that pretty quickly. No stalking required. But I did. But I did uh, spend a lot of time with Jan before filming. As soon as I attached to the project, I immediately reached out. We jumped on the phone and we just started talking incredibly honestly and openly you know I was just so grateful for how for how the trust that he kind of put in me and how open and honest he was with me about his life and I, I just wanted to know everything even if it wasn't going to be in the film I just asked mm. him to start from the start tell me about your life and then those conversations just didn't stop Yam was on on set with us the entire time he did all of his own stunt driving and so it just meant that he was this endless pool of knowledge and any time I had any doubts, any questions, any queries, I mean, he was there to answer them. I mean, it was it was dream come true situation. And Jan, how did he how did he do to see yourself or a copy of yourself on the big screen? Must be amazing. Archie nailed it. Um, I've only recently watched the movie, and uh, of course, <laughs> I know what's happened because it's my life, and I was there. But uh, yeah, he did an absolutely fantastic job. And to have my life put onto screen, um, part of my life put onto screen is uh, very unusual, a blessing as well. Um, and I'm hopefully people can take some, it can spark some thinking within people to uh, take some positivity out of it. So uh, yeah, it's it's been fantastic. 
as a wannabe sim racer and carter, like I now assume that I'm definitely going to end up on real life tracks and and at Le Mans. I'm sure it will definitely happen. It will, for me. dude. I think it will. Yeah. Definitely will. God dream big, man. God dream. And this is and this is what I was going to ask you because in all Hollywood movies, they always say to you, "What you really need to do is you just need to believe." All those losers didn't believe hard enough when you were actually at the academy or even qualifying for it, Jan. Did it actually feel possible at the time? I so I saw it with I explained it with doors. So I was presented with a door with GT Academy in position of my life, just dropped out of uni, and this door had kind of uni was closed. So I was like, okay, Grand GT Academy. Okay, that door. Let's see how far we can go. Let's open that one, and then let's open the other ones, and then of course one, and then it presented with this this uh, childhood dream, and just to see how far I could go. But the intention was. My intention was to see how far I can go, but it was, I never thought I could win. Only up until the last day where really? the last race where I had a chance, I thought I had a chance of winning. It wasn't like I'm going to win. It was like I have a chance. Uh, it was a very strange mindset, but it's done me well. But I was very sure ever since I was probably 11 that being a racing driver is what I want to do with my life. And if an opportunity presented itself, I'm all in. Uh, I had to wait yeah. a long time for that to happen and be very lucky as well. But I never let that candle, that little fire, go out completely because life throws mud and dirt and darkness at you. But uh, it was always that. And I was at the right place at the right time and then put in the work. You obviously believed exactly the right amount to get you to, to where you were. But I, uh, as a as a you know, keen sim racer myself, you know, I was watching the hand movements and the racing in the cockpit. Archie, I have to say... You were incredibly believable as somebody, you know, facing the physical shock of a, a, a sports car. So I do wonder, I know, I know Jan was doing some stunt driving, but how much did they get you involved or bully you into doing some track racing or some sim racing? Anytime you see me in the car, I'm in the car going up full racing speed. There is, not, there is no shot where it's static or going slower. I'm at full racing speed. And so... And the, the shot, all of those things, all of that is real. It's real. Uh, that is very, very real. It was truly one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. Sim racing wise, I mean, I was I, months before I got there, they sent me a whole GT setup and I had an unbelievable racing instructor, David Perel, who had a very similar story to Jan, was a sim racer and I raced for Ferrari. And we would just every single day, we would just practice, practice, practice because it is all it's just repetition with, with GT and just learning wow. those tracks and learning those corners. And I would have him in, when I was in the car, I'd have him in one ear reminding me like hand placements and, 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 and just a, a, anything that I needed to do to make it more believable. I was constantly being told. And, uh, and then, and then, yeah, the, 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 yeah, the car, the car, the car, the car, the car, just, it was just, it was, uh, you, I don't know how much money you would pay me to do it again, but it's, uh, <laughs> I'm glad yeah. I did it. The film's definitely worth it. I'm sort of disappointed. Like, Archie, that was such good acting. How did they recreate that? Well, they threw me around in a sports car until I was terrified. Basically, it was not... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, there was no acting. Like, It's all my sweat. It's all, <laughs> it. all that G-force. I mean, when my face moves, it's because my face is moving at 160, 70 miles an hour. It was just ridiculous craziness. And... And yeah, and how close to, to real was that? Because obviously you would have faced that shock from a sim rig into real life race cars. The film really portrays it as, oh dear, what, what, what have I got myself into? Yes. Um, however, 
uh, you know, getting in Street Academy and winning it, my mindset was, okay, whatever is required of me to be the best I can be in racing before my mentors, I'm going to have to do that. It's fine. Let's go through that. So, yes, it's extremely taxing on the body. Yes, it's very intense with uh, press, um, very intense with racing on circuits. You have rivals, you have the self-evaluation, the, the self-doubt at, at times as well, everything. So it's, uh, but I was prepared for that because this is what I want to do with my life. It gives me purpose. Mm-hmm. So with all that going on, actually driving the car, the bit you love, was probably, you know, you get in the car and you go, okay, well, I've got this bit. I know what I'm doing here. So, you know, there's a saying in, uh, it was talked to a lot of drivers and uh, before the race, there's so much stuff you've got to do. And the moment where it's the most peaceful and most calm is the moment just before the start of the race. Mm. You put on your helmet, everybody goes away. All the team go away, all the press go away, all the mechanics and interviewers and just you strapped in your car, really tight with your helmet on. It's just like, ah, engine's just about to get, engine's on. You're not yet racing, but it's like, ah, finally, I can do what I want to do and do the best thing. And uh, it's, it, for me, it's it's bliss. It really is bliss. It's the best, best. What, well, how did you rate Archie once he you know got thrown in the cars and got, got given his sim rig? So uh, Archie, seeing what he went through, um, no, Archie, these cars are small. They're not, uh, they're not big cars, and they're made out of carbon. And usually, well, all the time, when a driver sits in the car, we have a seat, a nice uh, kind of foam padded seat. Archie's very tall. Archie could yeah. use one of those seats, so he sat on bare carbon, going at that speed, being strapped in. So he's feeling everything. Oh, to make him shorter. What? In order for him to fit in the car without the helmet. Oh wow! The helmet was touching at some points. Has to sit on on dry carbon. So you know what a race car is like. It's millimeters from the ground. He's feeling everything through a carbon chassis. No, no compression or anything. So, and he's acting as well. And he, he knows needs to know where the corners go and got lines. He's very claustrophobic in the cameras. So I have mass. He has respect for me. I have huge respect for. For you doing that, because you looked like you'd been through some tough stuff. I'd been through the worst. I truly had, but we're, we're on the other side. Well, as a five foot seven gentleman, I'm glad you were uncomfortable in that car and hit your head <laughs> on the cockpit. That makes me I'm feel so really happy. Listen, hey, it's gonna hate. I don't know. To, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I tell you what, Archie. People are going to see you in this film, and they're going to want you in their movies. But um, you know, this young, this early in your career. Working with huge stars like Orlando Bloom, I want to ask you, like, you know, what's he like to work with? Because he's he's talented, charming, ridiculously good-looking, even in his forties. Give me something. Tell me he had like milk breath or something. I don't know what to tell you, bud. He's lovely. I mean, it Man, just is. And I'm and I, I'm sorry. It's true. Like everyone is at the end of the day when you get everyone's at work and you know everyone cares. Especially on a film like this, it's a lovely thing. Everybody just really was so excited to be there and everyone just everyone was just on great form it was just so lovely so there was no you know there's no time to to worry about who who and what who somebody is or what somebody's done or etc everyone is just locked into character <laughs> and how do we make this film the best film it could possibly be so all of that stuff is is you know this it goes out the window pretty quickly 
everyone was lovely because uh, Jamon Hanso completely, I hope this is not a spoiler, but I completely believed him as like the, the stern dad. And I can't imagine that. Kindest man in the world. I mean, he could so not. So they say cut. <laughs> and he is just smiling, laughing. I mean, he, you could not find a nicer human. Truly, he is the loveliest, loveliest person. I would work with him again and again and again. He is just great. There's a great dynamic between between all of you. And of course, you know, my my kids got very excited. I haven't seen it, but Stranger Things, the the dad in that. And when you've got like a, a, a mentor guiding someone through and you, you realise that, you know, people are, are trying to impart knowledge, but also they've got their own stories as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, that's the really lovely clever thing about the script is, you know, it's, a, it's an underdog story for Jan, but it's also an underdog story for Jack. And they kind of find this harmony between the two of them through that together it's it's lovely it really was and i'm going to get a bit star trek convention-y here for for yan you know when they say uh in episode 54 the 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 laser light from the photons okay um in the movie archie's using a logitech csl direct drive which is at the moment yeah, it's really good value entry level direct drive about five or eight newton meters of force feedback which is significant you can feel the feedback from the tires but when you were starting out doing sim racing and this was all around 2010 like you didn't have access to anything probably as good as that. So I had access to a um, a Fanatec Turbo S wheel, um, which was belt driven. Belt right. And I'd had that so that's less, than, less force. Yeah, I had that less than six months. Uh, so I'd only had a wheel six months when I entered GT Academy, and I only had that wheel and pedals wow. because I was so fed up of playing with the place with the controller um, that I wanted to take the experience to the next level. So with the money that I had as a gift well not as a gift but my GCSE results my A-level results my parents gave me some money thanks to my kind of average results I used that £300 to buy this wheel and pedals and the frame that I used to qualify I built that in school um, which is represented in the you see it in the film the frame that's it it's it's exact is it the actual one or a replica no, replica. It's a replica. It's the exact replica. Literally the exact replica. And it's painted okay. in a certain way as well because I designed it in school um, and halfway outside of school because I was adamant I wanted my own rig. And it's painted... Uh, the design brief given to me while I was in school was designed something in an Art Deco style. I'd already designed it. Nice. But I was like, oh, okay, how can I make this Art Deco? Okay, I'll just paint it in some weird Art Deco style. And it's exactly the same as it is in the movie. So I'm very happy about that. And he only got a B. And he got a B. Oh, and he got a B. Ridiculous. Changed his life and he got a B. To be honest, I'm glad the story went that way because when you sort of paused for a moment, I thought it was going to be, well I, well, I robbed it. So I'm glad it had a happier ending than that because obviously there's some, there's some scenes with Archie uh, getting, in, getting in a little bit of trouble and having to use his driving skills to get out of them. Uh, was any of that, you know, was that real, Jan? Were you a bit of a, a, a maverick? Mm, the stuff has happened before GT Academy with friends. Um, that's exact maybe not but uh, with the police yeah things have happened we've all got history well it made yeah. for a we've got, it made for a fun start to the film <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's really good and one of the things about the film is it's um, it's an assault on the senses it really focuses in on on the car Archie and it's all about you know being in the car having those those lines in front of you and, and imagining you know the, the racing line that you'd see on your on your PlayStation and trying to adapt that to track, but I just I just loved. It's not really a question, is it? I loved the fact that it was just a pure motorsport assault on you in your cinema seat. 
Yeah, that's I mean, that's that's what that's the genius of Neil Blomkamp. I think he was so uh, so adamant. That's part of the reason why he wanted everything to be done practically because he wanted everything to feel to feel so real. He wanted you to feel that he feel the speed. And I think you really do. I mean, it's kudos to him and the um, our unbelievable DP and the Camops. Like we just we just were able to get in so close to really feel to really feel every kind of every breath of those cars it's amazing and i know there's going to be some wish fulfillment here for from my viewers and listeners looking at jan's story and so we were talking about your your belt driven wheel when you got on track how much of your sim racing experience and how you felt your belt driven wheel in your hands how much of that helped you when you got in the car or or did you go oh wow no no this is totally different well it's all i heard so i was surprised how normal it felt the transition going from say that to jumping in the gtr at silverstone for the first time knowing the circuit that's something i've just realized as well i knew silverstone like yes like i do today but uh the way that the car handled the way that the car would pitch in your in corners your throttle braking puts the your student it's all that's all i had i never did carting or anything like that the only added sensation which I needed to tune with what I was getting through my hands was the vibration through my backside and my back. It was combining that, that added sensation and trying to align it with my vision and what I'm feeling through my hands. And that took, that's not easy to develop straight away. So it took a while to trust it as well, um, to know where the limit is. You have to go over it and kind of peg it back and just to get those sensors in a line, it's a, it's a bit of a journey, and especially with the eyes as well. So, but the way the car acts, it's uh, I was I was kind of like oh, it's working. Okay, I have to do this. The car normally does this. Okay, it's doing this in real life. Okay, cool. I can trust that. I, I'll remember that. Nice. And it just worked. You know. And uh, now people would take it not granted, but they just assume. Yeah, if I drive this particular car on here, it's going to behave exactly like that in real life, and it does that's just testament to uh the technology of gran turismo the attention to the detail that they have so i'm i'm no good but i have had a driver coach you know teach me how to detect uh, understeer oversteer when i'm in the car you know it goes light you're understeering and you can feel like the grip up as you get to the edge of adhesion and when i've taken that onto a cart track i've literally gone wow it it feels like that. And you just go, oh, my goodness, you know, the, the sim isn't a complete complete waste of time, Nick. What would you know? Um, but one line in the movie, I need to know whose idea this was, is when, Archie, uh, you corrected a, a friend in the, in the, in the movie that it's, it's not a game, it's a sim. And that is something all us sim racers say at home over and over again. And, you know, I run these big tournaments and, and, and there's 200 people there. They're all treating it seriously. And my wife will say, are you off to play your, your little game? And you go, no, it's not a game. It's a sim. But whose idea was that? I'm guessing that was, that was Jason or Zach. So I don't think that was nice. improvised. I think that was in there the entire time. Yeah, it's a conversation we've had uh, as well in person with, uh, with Jason. It's, uh, I remember it's, uh, it's, it's a sim. It needs to be a sim. It's not a game. It's not arcade. It's not you know, something you, you know, it's a simulator. So yes, that was uh, that was in the that was in there. Uh, to Jan, to Archie, and uh, on behalf of, I'm going to speak for the whole sim racing community. Thank you for making this movie. Thank you for representing our world, and good luck with the rest of the tour.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.